Fresh Economic Thinking podcast, new ideas and analysis with Dr. Cameron Murray and Jonathan Gadir. G'day, Cameron. Good to chat with you again. G'day, Jonathan. How are you? Yeah, I'm well. Um, I saw that you posted a whole bunch of stuff about karma. <laughs> Could you explain a bit about <laughs> what's what, if you become a Buddhist? <laughs> Look, I think it's just, uh, you know, it's an interesting sales angle on the idea, essentially, that humans uh, create networks of people who uh, end up having uh, like a hidden accounting system of who owes who from previous favors, who should I look after in the future? And the karma element is sort of the positive spin. But the thinking on it comes from understanding political favoritism and building up those um, IOUs amongst your political allies. But I think it works both ways. And so, yeah, I posted this week on Substack. It's called The Economics of Favors and Karma. And it basically says, you know, if you're out there in the world doing favors for people, they will feel obligated to you in the future. And so either directly or indirectly, you know, when you do good things for others, uh, you'll get uh, paid back and those favors will be reciprocated. So that's um, that's sort of my economic angle on being a good person. <laughs> and I guess what I, I understand that you're you're, you know, you're you're making this advancing this argument because you're trying to sort of answer a, a question that people have about. Well, it's related to corruption, essentially, uh, people who might think we don't have corruption because we, you know, there's, you know, bribes are not really part of our setup here in Australia. And I think you're you're making the point that it's, it's not, it doesn't really work that way. The corruption doesn't need bribes to function. Yeah, that's right. In fact, um, the bribe is almost saying, I don't want to participate in a long run game or favor. So yeah, let me just so you're right that this is one of the motivations for saying this, but th- you know one of the others sort of puzzles uh, that is related is that if you ask someone for a favor, they're more likely to give you another favor in the future. You know that's one of those uh, that's one of those little quirks that you um, you know you hear about. Um, you know if you've ever watched. Uh, a, a film where they say you know go undercover and you know get to know this guy at the at the uh, at the pub you know because you're an undercover agent you want to ask someone for a favor first um because when they do the favor to you uh, uh when you do the favor for them they feel like they owe you and that they can trust you whereas if you do the opposite they might feel like they're being exploited um so that's also one reason why people might be reluctant to accept gifts or favors because of the expectation of reciprocating in the future and uh yeah so you're right that when it comes to politics, this is how the game is played. Because if you're not paying for a, a political decision, what you're doing is you're getting it on credit. So you're giving a favor today and you've got these hidden accounts of who owes who what favors in the future. Uh, and so I just wanted to explicitly show that um, actually this can also be a very good thing when you're out in the world in your personal networks, um, you know, giving out favors that they they will come back to you. And let's talk a bit about your, you know, your specific example, which is about political donations. Um, 
donors to political parties. And, and we know that um, donations, financial donations to political parties in Australia, they, they're often um, companies that donate to both parties or to both major parties and maybe even to others. Tell us like your take on, on this. The big puzzle is uh, why are political donations so small? <laughs> because if you're buying a favour and that political decision is worth millions to you and you're getting that from you know, a ten dollars or $20,000 donation, that doesn't seem like the right price for a purchase of the decision. However, if you are doing the political um, donation as a favour, um, but you want to know that that person's credit is good and that they'll reciprocate on the future, you'd like to see them um, do some costly signalling. That is, do something that's expensive to them to prove to you that their credit's good in the future if you favour them. And so I, that's how I see donations as a costly signalling um, in this game of favour exchange to say that, hey, if you look after me with a favour, my credit's good and I'll reciprocate it in the future. So that's how I resolve this puzzle and why donations still work even if you donate to both sides of politics because if it's a bribe, you know, that payment has to be a benefit to you. But if you're also paying the political competition, where's the benefit from my bribe? You know, you're making it, you're not making it any easier for me to win government or, you know, out advertise the competition. So your donations isn't, isn't really helping me. So why would I want it? Well, I want it because it's a costly signal to you, uh, costly signal from you that if I look after you, your credit's good. So that's how it all fits together um in in my understanding and i think it resolves a lot of puzzles so you mean if um i don't know a big mining company donates to both major sides of politics the the signal is that we're we're players and in the future you know if you do the right thing by us we're good to sort of reciprocate or you know in whatever way that is whether it's i don't know giving retired politicians a, a nice job or i don't know is that is that essentially yeah that's that's exactly right. And that's obviously one of the classic ways to repay. Um, you know, from think about it from a personal level. You can get, um, you know, 20000 or 40000 to your political party today as a donation, but you might get half a million a year for four or five years when you retire uh, to your personal <laughs> account. That's, a, that's where the real repayment of the favour is. The donation is just a signal. Um, about the credit credit worthiness, yeah, for this long run game. So that's how it, I think it pieces together. So have uh, any Barneys around that, or has that been well received so far? Yeah, so so far well received, and I think um, I think most people intrinsically understand this because most people operate like this in their daily lives. When you know, when, when someone helps look after your kids, you feel like you should help them out in the future, and that's sort of a built in human tendency. And, and once we, uh, you know, get away from these more robotic economic assumptions of human behavior and understand that humans have this desire to reciprocate, it's biological, then I think we, we can really understand these processes more, both on the benefit, you know, in terms of karma and doing good things for others and getting good things in the future, and in terms of, you know, political games uh, and, and what might seem like good things to political insiders bit of a change of pace i wanted to talk to you about something that's a little bit beyond your standard topic uh, your standard areas of research 
it relates to how people make choices. So let me introduce it this way. In Victoria, there's an election coming up on the 26th of November. In New South Wales, where I live, there's an election coming up on the 25th of March next year. And it's gotten me thinking about the incredible, uh, incredibly stifling and um, sort of ossified nature of our uh, democratic system and how unfinished is this journey of democracy that we have. So because we, all, we sort of take it for granted that we just have to aggregate all our thoughts on different issues and pick a candidate and pick a party and just live with the fact that we might agree with 30% or 40% or you know, 50% of what they say and disagree with the other percentage of what they say and what they stand for and just live with that and basically live with an elected dictatorship for three or four years. Um, unless you, you know, obviously take into account you know, the pressure you can put on politicians from outside the parliament, you know, through protests and so on. So mm -hmm. for me personally, it's a this year, this election coming up in New South Wales is sort of, more tricky than usual because we've just been through, I know a lot of people want to forget about it and I certainly want to forget about it too, but I can't because it was so traumatic. We've been through this, this time last year, we were in the middle of an incredibly authoritarian lockdown. And I was very grateful that the New South Wales government took a different, slightly different approach, not a hugely different approach, but different enough that allowed me, for example, to take a walk outside by myself at 10 p.m., <laughs> something I really, really value. In fact, every fibre of my being rebelled at what was going on in Victoria uh, in terms of nighttime curfew, for example. And I, I said to myself at the time that if that ever came into effect here, I would be prepared to go to jail for my right to walk around by myself at 10 p.m. It was, I felt it was so unjust and such a, an infringement of basic liberties that I was really grateful that even though it was a harsh and, you know, authoritarian lockdown, there was a little bit more, you know, value placed on basic liberties here in, in New South Wales compared to Victoria. Now, having said that, and I was very grateful that I didn't have a Dan Andrews style government ruling over me at that time. I don't like much else about this New South Wales government. They've privatized my buses. They've cut my bus services. They've they've failed to hire nurses and invest in the health system, which has affected me as well. So here we go. The 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 the, the dilemma of when you you want to make issue-based choices and you're not allowed to by our system. So I and I, this is something I've been aware of for a long time. And I was involved a little bit a few years ago with a group called Flux. Now, I think uh, you, you've heard of Flux. You, you know some of the people involved. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. And they advance a very nice little experiment. They advance some very interesting ideas on how you can do issue-based direct democracy, given we've got the technology now. Um, it doesn't fit that great with our system of you know, representative parliamentary democracy, but they did a pretty good job of coming up with a system that might work, I think. Unfortunately, they've been deregistered by what it seems like is a fairly unfair decision by the Electoral Commission. But anyway, that's, that's for people to discover for themselves. They still have a website, voteflux.org. Now, are you in a position to explain how it works and your view on it? Or do you want me to explain uh, first how it works? Look, and then... 
maybe best if you explain how it works because it has been some years but it just to at a high yeah. level my understanding is flux is a, not about voting for a candidate but getting a candidate who will um, be loyal to a system of having their members vote on an issue-by-issue basis and then that candidate who gets elected would um, then represent the members directly on each issue. Is that yeah. a good high level or is there yeah. more to it? And, and the key thing is everyone thinks, oh, I don't know about all the issues. Like There's so many pieces of legislation coming up every week in Parliament. How the hell would I know what way to vote on this or that? The, the interesting thing about this system is you can swap away your vote on issues you don't care about or don't know about for a credit that you can use on issues that you do care about. And so they've got, you know, they've got, they've got an app or software that makes that possible. Yeah, so I think um, I think one of the uh, ideas uh, there's quite a lot of ideas around direct voting in that way in economics. One's called quadratic uh, voting, where you can have sort of uh, purchase extra votes um, for certain topics where you care more about to really express your preference there and less in others. So it's a it's a popular idea. My understanding, though. Uh, and I'd be interested in your view on this, is how you resolve the sort of um, tension between the underlying principle being we elect uh, a, a, a representative, that's how democracy functions, versus we choose laws, and that's how democracy functions. Because, you know, the choosing the representative is kind of a different thing if you know what i mean imagine absolutely yeah imagine running a company that way and saying well we've chosen this ceo to director whatever but their job is just essentially to be a conduit for you know the random aggregation of the thoughts of everybody in the company i just wonder if there's additional value just having that individual person you know with the oversight across many issues do you think that's a, a an Achilles heel of the system, or do you think it's maybe a benefit? Have yeah, you I, don't, I, that? I know that it doesn't fit well. Like the two ideas don't go well together. Like voting for a representative and voting on issues issue by issue. It's yeah, it, there's a tension between the two the two things. Um, I'm very interested in the idea of having politicians chosen at random like a jury system yeah i was just going to say does that not um solve both issues in in many ways so so firstly you do get representatives chosen and the representatives choose on their views on certain topics or um because they're randomly drawn then they're choosing on their personal views not on um you know whatever's the hot topic in politics and whatever's going to sway the next election or whatever marginal uh, seat uh, might yeah. have concerns about you know car parks at the train station or whatever else is the issue. Um, so the the randomised um, sort of parliament of you know the citizens parliament solves um, a a problem in terms of well you get the representatives making their individual choices not being conduits for the people but also because they're randomly selected from the people they are already by their nature, representative of the people's views because you've randomised and drawn from the community. Does that make sense? Does yeah, would, yeah, it does. Would you say that, that that would you say that that sort of almost solves both issues because 
you know, rather than voting on an issue basis, we, we already have this sample. It's like doing a survey, getting a sample. It would be the same if Flux members were a representative sample of the community and they got in power. Yeah. They'd just be funneling the views of those representative members. Or we could randomly select people, members from the community, and just make them the MPs. <laughs> yeah, and then I'm, I'm attracted. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah, I am attracted to that because of its simplicity. I think the, the weakness maybe of the flux system is that it is, um, because it's complex, it's subject to un things that we can't foresee, like someone figuring out a clever way to accumulate power in ways that yeah. you know, we can't predict now, but people are clever and they can, they can yeah. throw spokes in the, in any system. Um, yeah. Your point, your point there is, is right. The, the system would be somewhat complex with accumulating vote credits to vote on different issues. And let's be clear, um, simple rules on simple systems are really useful. If we just look at um, the preferential voting system that we've had now for many years i'm pretty sure the federal election is preferential uh, yep, uh is, yeah. you know you vote in the senate above the line i think you have to do a minimum of your top six ordered That's one right. to six yep um and you have to do the whole lower house ballot you know you have to number every box so that seems simple enough but even then you still hear a lot of commentary about politics of preference deals and politicians doing preference deals when you literally can't change the voters vote like the vote voter votes one to eight or whatever it is on the ballot the party can't make you vote anyway it can give you a flyer at the polling booth and say please do it this way um so you know we changed the voting system years ago and yet a lot of people still don't understand how a very simple system works indeed and thinks yep. Yeah, And, you know, they think you vote one for your candidate and that candidate does a secret deal with others where it allocates its voters' votes to other people. That doesn't happen anymore. It hasn't yeah, happened I heard for years, some, but people I still think some, it does, right? Yeah, I heard some political yeah. apparatchik say that it's like 30, I don't know, 30 or 40%, I think it was, of um, votes follow exactly the um, how-to-vote card of a party, like as though they don't know that they can vote it doesn't realize they can do yeah. what they want. <laughs> yeah so then i guess my point being i i like the idea of having more say um because the the party process itself really limits who can get on the ballot and what issues can get there right because there's this filtering process of getting a party competing with others getting members you know it's we've we've just seen the rules changed if you recall to the minimum number of members you needed to get on the ballot at the federal election. Yeah. I think it used to be a, a thousand or 2000, then it became 5,000. Don't quote me on the exact numbers, but it was a tool to sort of stop this political competition getting on the ballot. So I, I guess I feel the same way um, that there's a lot of political parties where I'm aligned in some things and totally the opposite in others. And it would be great to express my view more on a sort of issue by issue basis. But yeah, I mean, good on Flux for having a go. I, I'm a big fan of new parties trying new things. Um, and I think, you know, it'd be nice to have a few more organised around this idea of a random selection of people in Parliament to sort of overcome a lot of the issues we see. But, yeah, I don't think there's one easy or simple answer. 
Um, we definitely we moved to preferential voting, which I think was a big leap forward. And of course, a lot of people still don't understand it. Um, so the next step, I think, is really tricky. Um, there's a role, I think, for economics in in this, which is, I mean, m maybe you know a bit about public choice theory um, and that sort of, it's been, I think, a little bit considered a right-wing um, perspective because it often criticises how bureaucracies and how the public sector functions. Um, are you sort of aware of that body of, work like um yeah, yeah, I would the say logic I'm a, of collective action yeah I'm, I'm that's definitely i'm a public choice guy if you read my phd thesis you will see a lot of uh olsen quotes in it <laughs> oh yeah what why are you a public choice guy what 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 why, what do you say that what was your thesis uh so yeah the thesis was all about um back scratching and and public choice and and how we organize interest groups Mm -hmm. um, through these, um, as, as we said at the beginning, through this accumulation of favours and these networks of um, people who have these built-up credits who want to reciprocate with each other. So that okay. I, I sort of tr trying to unpick the formation of interest groups, whereas Olsen kind of just assumes there is an interest group on this topic. But, you know, they yeah. ebb and they flow and they, they, um, they reform as things change. And that was sort of where my thesis was about. So coming back to my dilemma, um, if we had randomly selected people serving as MPs, how like would I still get a say in an issue by itself? Yeah, well, no, no, you wouldn't. That's that's the other risk. I think is that you a lot of people would feel like, well, how do I organise politically in this case? How do I affect change? I don't have a party to appeal to. I don't have members to persuade. It's just random people. So I think, you know, although it seems neat, you know, the risk is people feel disillusioned in a way. They don't believe in the system. And I guess for your specific concern about the lockdowns and, and you know, there's been there's no candidates to choose, the way you would have to um, express those views would be to organise, um, you know, in the community so that, you know, you could... Um, put that issue on the agenda and essentially persuade enough of the community that the random selection of uh, MPs would be persuaded personally. So you'd have a lot of indirect lobbying of putting issues on the table, creating movements so that, that you would indirectly affect the views of this sample of, you know, the average Aussie. And, and I suspect though, in your particular case about the lockdowns, a random selection of MPs drawn from the community would have been very pro-lockdown because, mm. you know, although you and I think it, yeah, you and I thought it was crazy and a lot of people did, but if you just look at the total population, um, yeah, I think, mm. you know, in Victoria, Dan Andrews is, is likely to win again. People love the tough guy stuff. And unfortunately, I think, you know, there's really no solution to, uh the majority doing silly things and i you know i have a lot of fears that um you know uh with all the political tensions in the world that you know we might mass panic into coming up with a good reason to go to war again yeah. and uh that's one of the big risks i see um and we can really only do that i think with that mass support um and i don't know if these 
uh, election or voting mechanisms really change that underlying, you know, population-wide political dynamic? It's it's a good yeah, question to, very to know if it's possible. Yeah, it just seems like such a waste of our technological capabilities that we don't we don't do issue based voting um, in some way. Uh, maybe um, maybe it can be in a non binding way, but it can become like a convention that you know if we do an issue based vote with our apps, you know that the the decision has some sort of force. Um, uh, yeah, that's a good point. And <laughs> and publishing that would be a powerful thing itself, right? Yeah, just publish and, and, and look. Sorry to interrupt, but the you know pol- political parties already do a lot of polling, right? So they're already somewhat um, you know responding to this in an indirect way as well. So it's also worth noting that you know they're they're not on an island with their power. They still are responsive uh, in some ways, but. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right that getting more convention into, you know, directly publicizing what people think uh, and promoting some kind of say is, is very useful. Yeah. And some of my thinking on this is a little bit um, inspired by the work of John Keane, who's written some very impressive books recently about this unfinished journey of democracy and, and um, you know, the the idea that democracy is a thing that's static that we have is is false it's continuously changed and um i think we've we've fallen into a bit of a uh, a period of stagnation where the rules of the game haven't moved and and there's a lot of tension because our technological capabilities are so uh, have opened up so many possibilities that they're just not being used so that the systems we have seem incredibly um uh, out of date yeah. yeah i totally think so and i, I look I, i'm very hopeful to to end on a positive with the rise of the minor parties in in the recent election i'm i'm very hopeful that um that stagnation you're talking about you know the, the opportunities will be there soon you know the masses mm-hmm. are shifting uh in their views so i think you know I, I like to stay positive i think there are opportunities coming up for things um I, either whether it's flux or other minor parties to experiment with this stuff um but also just shifting the the um terrain of the major parties as well yeah um, so i hope so i hope I so yeah positives very good i've got a great note on which to end um thank you for this slightly um beyond economics chat and uh look forward to uh having more of this in the future good to chat jonathan see you mate